Would you please open your Bibles? Let's open our Bibles first to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as we are talking about our duties, responsibilities, and privileges as church members, as Christians. We come to a very important topic this morning. And that's the responsibility and privilege of giving generous and sacrificially to the local church. Uh, that's a topic I was talking to Brian and the leaders talk about this and I don't ever remember preaching a whole sermon on the subject of giving and I think it's important and you will see why it's important. And as you come to Second Corinthians chapter 8, you see the chapter 8 and 9, they're long chapters and they're all dealing with Paul's raising money, collecting money in the churches to bring to the Christians in the churches in Jerusalem who are going through a hard time. So, it's interesting because this collection that Paul is raising, the Apostle Paul is raising, took a long time. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he's talking about raising this money. You go to Romans chapter 15, he's talking about this. So, that was in his heart. And the Lord gives us two full chapters in the subject of just giving. Dealing in how Christians ought to give. So in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and you, I invite you to stand up if you can. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, says, We want you, brothers, to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a very deep test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, and in faith, and in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as, as a command, but to prove but you prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is true. For you know, look at how he ties together the doctrine of giving with the doctrine of Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, so that you by his poverty might become Rich. Now let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. So, past 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you didn't have the opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And now one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Behold the context of this verse. Yet it was kind of you to share, to have fellowship in my trouble. And you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into fellowship, in partnership with me, in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. And now look at how he describes that financial gift. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. May the Lord be gracious to us and help us. Uh, that's a difficult subject. And a lot of people get unsettled as we start dealing with wallets and bank accounts. Uh, I came across a very good book. Very interesting also. A Revolution in Generosity. And in this book, Wesley Wilmer, he writes, The last 50 plus years in America culture, American culture have been marked by increasing prosperity and wealth, with a corresponding increase in our obsession with stuff, things. Most often, it is hard to tell the difference between believers and non-believers by looking at how they view and use the things God has entrusted to them. While wealth among Christians has increased, generosity as a percentage of income has remained fairly static. In their annual report, the State of the Church Giving, John and Sylvia Ronswell explain, giving has not kept up, kept up with income. 1933, the depths of great, the Great Depression, Per capita giving was 3.2% among Christians. In 1995, it was still 3%. By 2004, when Americans were over 555% richer after taxes and inflation than in the Great Depression, Protestants were giving 2.5% of their income to churches. Rather than giving back to God as He blesses, Christians are adopting the miserly pattern of the world. More. More stuff. Garages filled with stuff. Closets filled with stuff. We need more and more and more as we receive more and the giving less and less and less. He continues. He says, Christians are also uncomfortable discussing their, talking about their possessions, even with other believers. Pastors worry that sermons on giving will sound self-serving or discourage people from attending church. However, the situation is contrary to God's plan. The scripture is saturated with teachings on possessions. Seventeen of the 38 parables of Christ are about possessions. In terms of the number of verses on, on possession, this topic is mentioned in scriptures more than any other. Three times more than love, seven times more than prayer, and eight times more than belief. About 15% of God's Word, 2,172 verses, deals with possessions. Most likely, this topic is covered thoroughly in Scriptures because, because God knew His followers would struggle with how to use possessions. Given the emphasis from God, Christians need to seriously consider how their faith and their finances relate. God has called Christians to greater heights of generosity as we conform, as we conform to the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some people, I hope you're not unsettled about this. I hope your heart is, I'm excited to learn. I'm excited to be challenged. I'm excited to know more about giving instead of, here he comes, trying to get my money. I don't need your money. Honestly, I don't need your money. I want your heart to be transformed. I care about your heart. So, as we have been walking through this series, just so we find ourselves in the context, we have been studying the doctrine of the church. We saw that the greatest, the, the greatest responsibility, the greatest command, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. This great command is fulfilled in different ways. God decides how we fulfill the command to love one another. Not your feelings. It's the Word of God. So we saw, first of all, that we fulfill the command to love one another first by welcoming one another into our hearts, into our arms, and just 
a parenthesis here, when you're talking about the holy kiss, it's very similar to the topic of finances. People have abused that. People have abused. People have abused the topic of finances. People have abused sexual intercourse. People abuse food. So it's not because people abuse that we are going to go to the other extreme and say, we cannot talk about that, we cannot deal with that. No, we need to talk the way the Bible says. So we saw we welcome one another by welcoming into our hearts, welcoming to our arms, and welcoming to our homes. Hospitality. Second, that was last Lord's Day. We fulfill the command to love one another by stimulating one another into love and good deeds. Let me ask you, who were you thinking? Who were you studying this morning, this week? Who were you praying for in order to come and, and stimulate, to encourage, to exhort, to love and good deeds? I hope. I hope you have been thinking. I hope you have been praying. And I hope you have been doing this. And then the last part, building one another up. We fulfill the great command of loving one another by building one another up. Just another parenthesis here. There is a trend, especially in the Reformed circles, uh, this neo-Reform, neo this young, restless and Reformed. And you see all these guys, pictures of them smoking cigars, drinking whiskey, as if they are free to do that. All their tattoos and they want to show all over the place, these new reformed pastors. That's not building one another up. It's scandalizing. It's tearing people down. So we saw, and today we come to a, another topic. How we fulfill the great command to love one another by sacrificially, cheerfully, joyfully, generously giving materially, financially to the church. So the outline is very simple. You're going to see this big heading, the responsibility and privilege of giving. And then I'm dividing two parts. Why Christians are responsible for giving financially and how does giving look like in the new, under the New Covenant? And I have a typo there. It's just under the New Covenant or in the New Covenant. Alright, so the responsibility. The responsibility and privilege of giving. We love, we love and we should love the grace of the Lord. The grace of God in our lives. Paul says in Titus, the grace the grace that brought salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, you're saved by grace. We love, and we must love this grace that brings salvation. But the grace that brings salvation, not only brings salvation, brings a profound transformation that our hearts now delight in sharing. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, the grace, they're begging to be part of this grace. God has given them grace to participate in giving, in giving. And as we walk through the New Testament, we see that very clear that there are responsibilities, duties of giving financially to the church. First Corinthians chapter 16, we're going to see this passage later, but look how Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, here's key, as I gave detailed instructions, that's the Greek word there, as I gave detailed instructions, an order, as I directed the churches of Galatia. So that's Paul's operating style. And then he goes on to say what they're supposed to do. Look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 25 through 27. That's very key to Paul's theology of giving. He says, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Listen to this. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they were. Was it up to them? What does it say in your Bible? They owed. They owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. That's a principle that Paul is often applying. You are blessed spiritually, you repay that with your material possessions. To the church in Galatia, I think I have there, Galatians chapter 6. Yes, here's the same principle. Let the one who is taught the word, and who is, being, who is receiving instruction? The church. The church, the church members. Let the one who is taught the word, share. And that speaks of a generous giving. Share all good things with the one who teaches. 
That's, that's the Bible, brothers and sisters. It's right there. I'm not creating this, and I don't feel uncomfortable about this. Thomas Schreiner, he writes in his commentary on Galatians, he says, Those who benefit from the instruction of teachers should support them. For as Paul teaches elsewhere, those who receive spiritual benefit should share their material blessings with those who have benefited them. The important word is the word fellowship. Especially among Christians, we rightly so speak about fellowship. We always talk about fellowship. And many churches now, they have fellowship in their names. Uh, but it's important to know the meaning of the word fellowship. Koinonia. Or koinonia. One of Paul's favorite words when he used to the, Christians to the Christian communities. And it had to do with association, generosity, contribution, and communion. The word fellowship. Look at how, how Luke talks about the church in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4. And I know, I know we must be very careful when we are dealing with narrative. You've got to be careful with narratives. It's not just because the Bible is narrating something, describing something, that that must be prescriptive. But there are principles in narratives. So you've got to always be attentive. What is the, the teaching here? What is the lesson? Is God blessing this narrative? So in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47, and Luke, he is fascinated. He gets saved and he's fascinated about how the early church was living under the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine, he came to investigate Christianity. He came to make a report, to do a report on Christianity, to bring to Theophilus. And he's just fascinated by how the Christian community treated one another. So in Acts chapter 2, he says, So those who received his word were baptized. Who were baptized? Those who received his word. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And look at that. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in koinon, in common, from the word koinonia. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It's explaining here. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who is part of the church? Those who were being saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one, no one said, that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Koinonia, fellowship. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. So you got to, as you're reading the narrative and you see, whoa, the grace of the Lord is upon them. The favor of the Lord is here. So they are doing something that's pleasing to the Lord. So when you're reading a narrative, you always pay attention to these things. So the favor of the Lord is here. Why? Because they are obeying Him. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Important. Second time, he makes clear who, who is receiving that. Christians who had need. Okay. And you notice in Acts chapter 2, look at there. The Christian life is a life holistic in the church. And they're all together, devoted together to what? Prayer, preaching, fellowship, breaking of the bread. Have you met those people who call themselves Christians and say, Hey, I like the preaching. I will come to the preaching. I'll come just for the preaching. I'm not, a, I'm not big into fellowship. How about those spiritual people? I'm big in prayer. I'll just be there if you have prayer. Why waste time with preaching? But you see how the life of true believers must incorporate all the aspects of the church. Prayer, communion, 
teaching. There's no such thing as, I like the teaching, I don't like people, I don't like prayer, I don't like singing. No. Totality of church life. And one of the key aspects that Luke keeps emphasizing, and Paul picks up in his letters, is the aspect of fellowship. The new life empowered by the Spirit is a life of koinonia, fellowship. Artazurdia, in his book, Spirit Empowered Mission, great book, he writes, even a minimum, of, a minimum exposure to these texts, dealing with the word koinonia, leads to the realization that a counterfeit meaning of fellowship has infused itself into the minds of many evangelicals, ultimately undermining their experience of, it, of its sanctifying benefits. A corrective, a corrective from the New Testament reveals this sharing in to be something costlier than idle conversations that happen among Christians over espresso and scones in the church's fellowship hall. It's a partnership in the sharing of economic resources. He goes on, speaking most practically, it implies that the wallets and purses belong to these, that belong to these Christians are open. I don't like that. You see, we bought the concept that fellowship is just going to Starbucks and having a cup of coffee together, and that's great. What a great time of fellowship. But when you go deeper, what? Giving, supporting. And I know some people, as they read this text, as they are listening to this, they, they, they're going to say, so, what? You're teaching communism? Are you teaching socialism? That's the American mind kicking. Are you promoting communism? That's wrong. You see, communism says, what's yours is mine. That's communism and socialism. What you have is mine. Biblical Christianity is, what I have is yours. What I have is yours. Biblical fellowship is to be so deeply involved with one another, rooted in love, that we rejoice in sharing what's costly for me. And what is costly? My money. Why? Why is it hard? How did you get the money? Most of us did not get inheritance. We actually work, right? Hours working. Hours working. Studying. Getting a degree. Hours, out, hours outside the home. Then you get the money. That's you. That's why you have a hard time actually saying, no, that's yours. That's yours. That leads me to another very important subject. How to know... How to know true sacrificial involvement with the local church? You see, one of the ways that you know that a person, that a member, has true fellowship in the biblical sense, in the biblical sense, true koinonia with his local church, is by his financial involvement with that church. As we just saw, fellowship is a partnership of sacrificial giving. And you say, you are messed up now. Now, that's what Jesus said. Go to Matthew chapter 6. And he's dealing a lot with money there. And remember what Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there is what? Your heart. What is the heart? All the motivations. Right? What drives you. Whatever your heart treasures, that's where your motivation, that's where your affection is. So, if you don't invest your time and money in your local church, that means what? Is your heart there? No. can be. According to Jesus' own words. That's why it's a thermometer. Giving. Money. is a thermometer of your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. People who don't give time, they don't give their money to the church, you be sure about this. Their hearts are not there. And the opposite is true. Those who give, those who give generously, sacrificially, joyfully, you know those are the pillars in that church. Those are the people who are faithfully sustaining and moving forward with that church. There is a very interesting pattern. And that's, I have noticed that pastoring for these years and talking to other pastors too. There is a very interesting pattern in the lives of those who leave a local church. Those who come to complain about the church. Those who come to just with negative criticism and just with unbiblical reasons for leaving. And they're just saying, we are out of here. It's very interesting, this pattern. Track their giving record. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. The giving record is a very important track 
to know if that person's heart was actually in that place. Are you guys uncomfortable? I hope not. It's a hard subject. But it's true. It's true. Track the giving record of those who complain and leave the church for unbiblical reason, and you will see that their giving either declined before they left or was, or was never there. That's why sometimes people leave the church. Is that going to affect the, the, the budget? No. They had stopped giving for a long time or they never gave. Artazurdi once said, I heard that. I was like, That's pretty good. He says, To be sure, knowing the giving pattern of a Christian ought never to influence how a pastor loves that Christian. On the other hand, the giving pattern of a Christian ought to influence how a pastor listens to that Christian. Wise words. Is his heart really here? What's his heart here? Are these complaints real? Are these concerns true? How do we know? How was his giving pattern in the church? Even those, even those, you guys remember there was one case here. I'll say her name, Debbie. Extreme difficult lifestyle. No money. But he knew that her heart was here. Because everything that she would receive, she would give to the church. Her heart was here. How do you know? Sacrificial giving. So let us look at some reasons why, why we are to give. Why we are responsible for giving. And first of all, the primary, that's the primary and most important reason for Christians to give generously, joyfully, cheerfully, is because giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. And that's what we saw, especially in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. It's very interesting, verse 18, how Paul describes the financial gift. He describes as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And you get these words and you take to Romans chapter 12. Remember Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2? They're four brothers. In view of God's mercy, I beseech you to offer your bodies. And the language that Paul starts using, it's the same language that's used right here in Philippians. So one of the ways that we are worshiping the Lord is through the giving. It's an act of worship. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus or Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When Paul receives that bag with money in order to support him, and he gets, and there's some t-shirts, some blankets, and he's just beholding that gift, and he just can see how that was pleasing in God's nostrils. That's like incense. Oh, that was pleasing to the Lord, this offering. That's Paul's language here. It smells good. Please the Lord. Why? That's language from the Old Testament. Sacrificial language. Worship language. Giving is an act of worship in which God delights to receive when it's done according to His pattern. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at what Paul says. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I commended the churches of Galatia, as I commended the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. When? First day. First day of the week. What is the first day of the week? Sunday, the Lord's Day. What happens on the Lord's Day? Get together to do what? Worship. Worship. You see, for Paul, giving is a worship act that's supposed to be done on the Lord's Day when the church gathered together. For Paul, giving is part of congregational worship. We are to sing, pray, hear the preaching together, and also give together. You see, we tend to go... Especially to, for example, when Jesus says, when you pray, where do you go? Go to your closet. But wait a second. On the other hand, Paul commands the church to pray together. Meaning, we need to understand that there is a type of prayer that, we should, be, that should be done in secret. And there is a prayer that should be done as a congregation. The same with giving. Nobody should know that I'm giving. There is a giving that maybe you should hide. But there is a giving that must be done corporately. It's an act of worship. It's a corporate aspect of worship service in which all are encouraged to engage 
and give. Let me ask you, what do you say when you're writing your check, when you're getting the cash in the envelope, separating that amount of money? Do you think and say in your heart, Lord, that's my worship. I'm worshiping You, Lord, by giving this. Please, let it be accepting and pleasing in Your sight. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time that you wrote a check and you're thinking, that's a rational act of worship. I'm worshiping the Lord through my giving. When was the last time you said, Lord, I love You so much. I love You so much. And I love giving. Because giving is part of my worship. Love gives. And I love giving because I love you. We must be careful with what we are singing. We must be very careful to what we are listening. And we must be careful with giving. That's why it is hard. We have talked about the automatic deposit. There is some benefit to automatic deposit. So you just, hey, every month there is an amount that is just going to go straight to the bank account. That becomes mindless. Have you thought about that? It's mindless. It's important. To take time to worship as you are giving. Proverbs 3.9, the Lord says, Honor, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So giving is an act of honoring the Lord. Very interesting, the word, the Hebrew word there, honor. Kaved, kavod, glory. So it's the verb to glorify God. Glorify God with your giving. That's what he's saying here. We glorify God. We worship Him through the giving of what? The leftovers? First fruits. The Hebrew word there, first fruit, that's which, that which is the best. That's why we call it an offering box or an offering plate. Why? Why offering? It's a sacrifice. It's an offering to the Lord. And when we understand that giving is worship, when we understand that giving is glorifying God, all the questions about the amount of how much I should give, they kind of vanish away. Because you understand that, that that's worship. That's worship. So, if giving is an act of worship, that we honor God, what is the contrary? Dishonor. Not glorifying God. Not glorifying the Lord. But you see how important it is, this subject. Also, not only is worship, but generous giving is commended in order to support gospel-centered ministry. Gospel-centered church. Gospel-centered missionaries. Your sacrificial giving provides for those who sacrificially live to spread the gospel. Think about that. Your sacrificial giving is used by God to provide for those who live sacrificially to spread the good news. First uh, Corinthians 9, Paul explains that. And he says very clearly there that those who work in the ministry, in the service of the gospel... They are what? They are to receive from those who are benefited from that. And it's interesting how Paul, the, the, the principle that Paul applies here is just amazing. It says, Does not the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, You shall not, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It's very amazing how Paul applies the law in relation to giving. He could easily say, you guys know that the Levites had 10%. He had the tithe, so you need to give your tithe. Actually, he doesn't do that. Actually, he goes to a law about what? An ox. That's amazing. And that's the principle that Paul is applying there. Also, First Timothy chapter 5, 17 through 19. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And then he quotes Jesus Christ, the worker deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So your sacrificial and generous giving provides for those who are laboring the proclamation of the gospel. And there are also basic expenses in the church. Church building, utilities, uh, musical instruments. Copies, microphones, websites, all these things that require what? Mula. Require money. That, that's just basic common sense, honestly. That's just basic common sense for any person, not even a Christian. If you're going to use something, 
you should pay for that. But you see, uh, the government system is so messed up that people now are used to just receive. I don't need to give anything. To use the labor of those who are working to serve, the benefits of the facility, and then you not give back. What is that? So, it supports, you're giving support to the spread of the gospel. Also, generous giving is commended in order to support brothers and sisters in need. Another important reason for your sacrificial, generous, cheerful giving is that your giving will supply for those brothers and sisters who are in need. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 9.1, he describes giving as a service to the saints. He says the giving is actually a service. You are serving others. And it's interesting, Paul has a principle of equality or fairness. That's something that Luke shows in, in Acts, and then Paul picks up in his letters. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 13-15. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness or equality, the NIV, I think the King James also, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs, so that their abundance may supply your needs, and that there may be what? Fairness. Equality. As it's written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had not, nothing to lack. The equality, the fairness that Paul is speaking here, and for us, especially here in the U.S., it's a scary word. Equality? Equality? Are you saying that we should all have the same bank account? The same amount of money in the bank account? Is that what Paul is saying? By no means. By no means. He's talking about fairness and equality in basic needs. No Christian should be in need of a piece of bread to survive, a cup of water to survive. They should be supplied with that. That's Paul's theology. Fairness among Christians. That's what Luke tells us. And they would sell their things. Why? Because there are people in need. There are people in need and we need to supply for their needs. Not the government, the church. The church. And look at, look at verse 15, how he explains the theology of fairness and equality with the theology of manna in Exodus 16. In the first Exodus, God made a way so that people would have their daily bread, the manna, just for that day. And in the greater Exodus, God is providing a way for His people to have their daily bread. Very interesting. We're also commanded to give, let me go back here, yes, in order to provoke thankfulness. We are to give in order to provoke thankfulness. Second Corinthians 9, 12-15, Paul says, For the ministry of this service, what service is that? Is the giving. Is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but here's key, but it also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them. Our generous, sacrificial giving end up provoking people to thank the Lord. That's amazing. That's key. And as they are thanking the Lord, what are they doing? They are glorifying the Lord. Remember Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 24? They neither gave thanks, nor what? Nor glorified. And that's Paul's theology. The more we have people giving thanks to the Lord, the more they're glorifying the Lord. How is the glory of the Lord going to cover the land? By more and more Christians giving thanks to the Lord. That's amazing. And the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. How? Because people are being thankful. They're thanking the Lord for your gift. Have you thought about that? When you're giving, that your money will go to someone in need, a Christian in need, and that Christian in need will thank the Lord for that gift. And He will glorify the Lord. And the Lord will be glorified through your giving. Think about that. I get the emails of those pastors we support, and they're always so thankful. Always so thankful for the books. Their thanksgiving brings glory to God. The Lord is glorified. The earth is filled with His glory. And last, 
We must excel. Here's why. Because we must excel in the grace of giving. Look what Paul says. Why are we, are, why are we to give? So that we excel in this act of grace also. To abound. To increase. How are you going to excel in the art of giving? Think about that. Because Paul is saying here, see that you excel in the grace of giving. And as you read that, you need to think to yourself, whoa, I'm to excel in giving? I'm to excel? Excel in building the church up. And now he says, excel in the grace of giving. How am I going to excel in giving? How have you been training yourself to excel in giving? Think about that. How have I been training myself to excel in giving? You excel in giving when you excel in loving Christ. The more you love Christ, the more you love yourself. The more you love Christ, the more you love His people. The more you love Christ, the less you love yourself, the less you love your self-preservation. And the more you excel in giving. Let me ask you, have you been growing and abounding more and more in the grace of giving? When you look at your records, how is your giving? Have you been excelling in the grace of giving? Ouch, ay, that hurts. Have I been excelling in the grace of giving? We are either, brothers and sisters, that's key. We are either excelling in giving or you're excelling in being stingy. There's no neutrality. You are either growing in giving or you're growing in what? Hoarding, saving. All right, so we see the we must give. Why? And now, lastly, how? How does giving look like in the New Testament? So we know the giving is part of worship. We know all these benefits of giving now. We know that giving makes us more like Jesus. But how am I to give? How am I to give? Notice that I didn't say how much you are supposed to give. I didn't say how much. Because the New Testament never deals with how much. It deals with how. With the heart of the giver. Most Christians, most Christians, when you ask, how much? Or how am I supposed to give? What is the basic answer? 10%. 10%. The tithe, right? But who said that? Who told you that? Honestly, who told you that? Malachi 3, bring the tithes. In the plural. In the Old Testament, we had at least three tithings. We had the Levite tithe. And this was to the Levites. And the Levites would give some to the priests. Then you had the poor tithe. Every three years, there was a, tithe, a tithing in which Israel, all the people had to take their offerings to a specific location in order to supply for the widows, the poor, the orphans, and the strangers. And then you have the festive or fest festival tithe. And that was a huge potluck that they would have and celebrate the goodness of God. They were supposed to use that in the community, that tithing. So some scholars believe, some, most scholars believe that the Jews tithe somewhere between 23.3 to 30%. Who told you that was 10%? Who told you that? I didn't. The tithing under the Old Covenant was deeply rooted in the worship, in the system of worship that they had. The tithing was connected to the land, to the temple, and the Levitical priesthood. People are going to say, but Abraham tithed. There was no command there. God never commanded that. And besides that, there was what? The spoils of war. It wasn't his, his goods. But that's what he got at the war. Oh, Jacob tithe. I doubt they would like to follow his example. That was more like a bargain, bargain than a tithe. I will give you that if you do that to me, Lord. So if tithing is still binding on Christians, how much are we to give? 23? 25? 30%? Which tithe? Nowhere in the New Testament tithing is commanded and even mentioned as something that Christians under the New Covenant should be doing. Yes, Jesus talked about the tithing. He's talking about the religious leaders under the Old Covenant. It's very important. After the inauguration of the New Covenant, we never hear. Also, if you should be tithing, should we stop tithing on the sabbatical year? Because they had to stop tithing every seven years. So, uh, you see how crazy it is? Why do we keep the law of tithing? It's not even mentioned as a principle in the New Testament. Far away from that. Brian Rosner, he's a, he has written a very good book about Paul and the law. He writes, Does Paul enforce or even recommend tithing? 
Despite having numerous opportunities to do so in his many discussions of giving, Paul nowhere endorsed tithing. Paul is consistent with his often repeated insistence that Christians are not under the law. When he used the law, he used the principle of the law, and as we saw, he used the principle of the ox. That's amazing. If there were places where Paul had the opportunity to say, Brothers and sisters, you know the tithing. Just give 10%. He never said that. Never. Why? Because for him, tithing was connected to the old covenant law, and Christians are no longer under that. See, and it's easy. When you preach that, greedy people say, Amen! I love that! We are out of tithing. Right? I don't have to tithe. There are others, more conservative. I give 10% and that's plenty. Just do the 10%. How are we to give? How are we to give? Now, how much? We never find in the New Testament a percentage of how much you're supposed to give. 10%, brothers and sisters. 10%. It's not biblical. Because if you're going to apply the 10%, you better apply the whole law and all the other tithing. Don't come with just partial law to me. Don't do that. If you're going to apply the law, apply the whole thing. and Give at least 30%. And keep fulfilling all the other laws. Go all the way. While well, the New Testament never gives us a percentage. It does give us how we are supposed to give. And the first one, consistently and thoughtfully. Consistently and thoughtfully. Paul tells us how to give. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. On the first day of every week, each of you should put something aside and store it up. They received their salary probably every day, every week. And they had the opportunity to every week set that amount apart to give. You are only going to excel in the grace of giving if you are consistent. You need to be consistent in giving in order to excel in giving. You will never excel in giving if you are not consistent in giving. Also, Paul says in Galatians 6, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Let me ask you, are you consistently being taught the Word? Are you consistently being taught the Word? So what is the logic? What is, it, what is the reason? Consistently what? Sharing. Giving. Right? Let the one who is taught the Word what? Give. Give back to the one who is teaching. Am I being consistently taught the Word? Yes. There is an order here from Paul. So consistency. Do you use the building and the services here regularly? Yes. They get paid regularly? Yes. So then there is a pattern that the Lord wants from us of regularly giving. And must be thoughtful. Each one must think about what he's giving. Each one must give, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each one, that's amazing, just like in 1 Corinthians 16, each of you, not some of you, not just the rich, hey, just the rich people in the church. No, each one of you, everyone in the church, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God hates that. Instead, God loves a cheerful giver. So each person is called to a thoughtful consideration, to think through, to think about how much the Lord has entrusted you with, think about what is a sacrifice to the Lord, think about your basic expenses that you need to pay. You need to be thoughtful. You need to grow in that. That's why it would be so easy to say, oh, just give 10%. Go back to the, all, all the passages about 10% and just teach you 10%, 10%, 10%. Bring all those passages and say, well, you need to give 10%. I would not be teaching you. I would not be teaching you the new covenant. A new heart. Thinking through the things. Also, it tells us to give sacrificially and proportionally. Very interesting. We are supposed to give sacrificially and proportionally. Look at Paul's test. 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. He never establishes a specific amount. It goes from family to family, from person to person, proportionally. That's what Paul is implying here. As the Lord prosper you... You are to prosper in your giving. But we have been doing the opposite. As the Lord is prospering us, we are prospering our lifestyle. And Paul is, no, as the Lord is prospering you, you are to prosper in your giving. Excel in the grace of giving. 
and is to be sacrificial. And the church of Macedonia is our example of giving. Do you want to know how you are to give? Look at the Macedonians. Okay, don't look at people who don't give. That's a bad example. Okay? Don't look at people who hardly ever give. You look at the best. Look at Paul says. And that's the example he's giving to the churches in Corinth. That's how Paul plays, brothers and sisters. He gives an example and says, you, you better imitate them. And then he says, they'll be embarrassing if they come to your church to get the collection. You guys are not ready. We want you to know, 2 Corinthians 8, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in, this, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, that's amazing, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. What are your excuses for not giving? What are your excuses for not giving? Now look at the church in Macedonia. Extreme poverty. Not just poverty. Extreme poverty. And what are they doing? Begging us earnestly. Paul, we want to help. We want to give, Paul. It's a blessing to give. It's a worship. We want to bless them. But brothers and sisters, you have nothing. Yes, we are going to give beyond all we have. That's the example that Paul is bringing. And that's the example we should imitate. Sacrificial. Beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor, the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. Philippians chapter 4. Paul talks about their gift as an offering, as a sacrifice. So he speaks of a sacrificial giving. And let me just say that for most of us, for most of us, 10% is not sacrificial at all. For most of us here, 10% is not sacrificial at all. It seems sacrificial because of the lavish lifestyle we, we strive to live. Honestly, if we were content with basics, we could give much more. 10% for most of us is not sacrificial. It's sacrificial because you want to live a life just like the world. Is your giving a sacrifice? Is your giving a sacrifice? There must be, I think it was Lewis, Lewis, he said, there must be things that we, we would like to do, but we don't do because of our sacrificial giving. There are things, there must be things in our life that we would like to do, but we cannot do, not because you're saving and storing up, but because you're giving sacrificially. Is there anything in your life that you cannot do because you are giving sacrificially to the Lord. That's crazy, no? Especially when you spoil our children and they grow up to be what we see all around us. Spoiled children have no clue what sacrificial giving is because they just get everything. So they always want a bigger house, bigger parties, expensive weddings, expensive clothes, expensive trips, movie theaters all the time, good restaurants all the time, thousands of dollars with pets. And giving to the church, to the Lord, is what? Never sacrificial. So let us look to the Macedonians. Because the Macedonians were looking to Jesus, as Paul shows here. And lastly, our giving must be generous, filled with joy, and expectantly. Second Corinthians 9, 6-11. The point of this, whoever sows sparingly, we also reap sparingly. sparingly and whoever sows bountifully, we also reap how? Bountifully, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Here's the reason. Because God loves a joyful, a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Here's the true prosperity gospel. Here's Paul's promise. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Joy. Joy in giving. Joy in giving will kill, will destroy reluctancy, begrudging. And then Paul promises. He promises. And that's very interesting that he promised that God will enrich you. Who is the you here? Members of a church. He's not promising that God will enrich those people who are sitting in their homes watching prosperity false teachers and they will bless them. That, that's not what Paul is saying. The promise is to a faithful local church. You give sacrificially. You give generous. And the Lord will bless you. 
And has He not blessed us? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. How will God enrich you? I don't know. Some He will enrich with money, with finances. Some He will enrich with affliction and pain. But He will enrich us. He will make us rich. How? It's up to Him to decide. Rich in love, rich in generosity. And that's the key. Generosity. Sowing bountifully. So, I finished here. And let me just ask you, brothers and sisters, this final question. First of all, have I, have we, have you been abounding more and more in the grace of giving sacrificially, joyfully, generously? If you go and you keep, you get the records of your giving, as per a few years, few months ago, I'm not putting here under God's providence, maybe you lost a job, maybe something happened. But let, let's suppose a pattern of life here. Is your giving increasing, excelling? Are you growing in the grace of giving? You need to do that. You need to go home and check this out. The Lord tells us. We all here. Rachel and I are going to sit down this week and, and go through our finances. Say, hey, what do we need to change here? To give sacrificially. To grow. To look at our lives and, and, and say, we have been growing in the grace of giving. Do I look like the Macedonians? Do I beg to give even in poverty? Even though none of us here know what poverty is. None of us. How about those with children? What have you been teaching your children? Or those who are about to have children? What have you been teaching your children? A failure in the Mosaic Law of 10%? Or the New Testament way of generous, sacrificial, joyfully giving? What are we teaching our children? I had, a, I had a great opportunity a few months ago. Bella found a hundred bucks. She found a hundred bucks. The easiest thing would be just save ten dollars and give to the church. Ten percent. Brothers and sisters, why should I do that? Teach her to be greedy. Teach her to be selfish. You have no expenses, my little girl. You have no expenses. Save some so you can bless others, so you can buy something to other people and give the rest. You see... You look at our age group now, all these people, stingy, give me, give me, give me, never giving sacrificially. I don't want that. I don't want that. Especially when you're young. Train your children when they're young to give as much as they can because they have no responsibility right now. And once they're trained to give, that's going to change things. The 2.3% that Christians give nowadays, that's miserable. Why? Because we have been teaching wrong. We have been living wrong. If they don't see in our lives sacrificial giving, no, we cannot do that because we are going to give. Because we are going to bless others. That would be completely different. Completely different story. And here's the glory of all these things. Paul can never separate giving from the gospel. So why are we talking about money? Because in Paul's mind, in God's mind, giving financially can never be separated of the gospel. Second Corinthians 8, it's amazing. Verse 9, you can open your Bibles there. I don't think I have here. That's the last passage you're going to look at. He stops, he's talking about giving, and here's the reason. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And look at how he finishes this whole section. Chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for His, what? Inexpressible gift. Who is the inexpressible gift? Jesus Christ. Here's the, the thing that I have been teaching you. Our privileges, our responsibilities, sorry, become privilege. The more we give, the more we look like whom? Jesus Christ. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because He is cheerful in giving. He loves giving. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. He loves giving Jesus for the joy set before Him. There was joy in giving. That's why God loves a cheerful giver. How did He give? Sacrificially, generously. So as we apply these things, all these responsibilities actually become privileged. Father, we thank You. We thank You so much for the inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ. Though rich, having everything, Everything, everything was created by Him. Yet He became poor. 
to serve, to give Himself. That's true love. True love always gives. So help us. Help us, O oh Lord. And Lord, uh, I thank this church for the generosity, for the sacrifice that most of the members here, every month they make to worship You, to love You, to give sacrificially. I praise You for this body and I pray that You would help us because we can always excel in this grace. Lord, I pray that You would help us. I pray that other churches would look at us and say, Wow! They're so small, but they give so much. Just like the Macedonians. So help us, Lord. Help us. So we can give more and more people will give thanks to You. And Your glory will cover the earth with brothers in China, brothers in India, brothers in Africa, brothers in Brazil, just praising You and thank You for the gifts You have allowed us to give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.